welcome to Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture with me, your host, Esther Rini. On this week's episode, I'll be explaining what the Allies knew. Hi friends and welcome to the ninth episode of Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture. This is the penultimate episode in the series, in this first series of the podcast. I can't quite believe that it's it's already been two months that I've been doing this. Seems like a really short time, but also really long, um, but thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, yeah, it's oh, Christmas this week, basically, and I've been like half running around like a headless chicken like trying to get things sorted um luckily in Berlin we are allowed to have people over to our houses still I know in the UK that's very different for a lot of people but yeah just trying to get things sorted for cooking my first turkey the Christmas cake has been iced so that's all ready to go um just getting bits and bobs together which has been really nice but I realized I haven't actually seen the coke advert this year and I'm not sure if it really is Christmas unless you've seen the truck so not sure how I'm going to rectify that as I don't have a tv and I'm not sad enough just to google it (laughs) um but yeah Christmas is coming in a few days time I hope everybody is I know it's going to be different this year but is able to kind of be with loved ones in some capacity uh what can we say it's just very fitting for 2020 isn't it like we get right right almost to the end of the year not that I think much is going to change at the stroke of midnight yeah it would just seem that this would just be the cherry on top you know um but Christmas doesn't have to be cancelled just has to be low-key so let's put a positive spin on it and uh if you managed to get out and travel before the madness well done you cherish the time at home I'm sure it'd be a lot of fun Uh, this week I'm going to talk to you about what the allies knew about the holocaust and yeah I'm I'm sorry to talk about corona all the time but that's literally what's happening in my life but I'm also very excited for Christmas I don't know if you can tell Um, but anyway I'm going to stop talking and just crack on with this week's episode Okay, so here we go. What, if anything, did the Allies know about the Holocaust? So I've used a couple of sources, different sources here. Um, Facing Facing History and Ourselves and Yad Vashem is where I've been refreshing my memory. Don't worry, that's not a footnote. That's just to sort it's a good idea to to cite stuff that I've been looking at. And in case if you want to have a look on, on or have a Google of these websites too, um, Yad Vashem is the World Holocaust Centre for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, okay, so the Allies and the Holocaust. So during the first few year, years of the war, you have neutral correspondents basically that are travelling around mainly from America, but places like Switzerland also, so countries that stayed neutral in the... I know... Um, America came into the war, um, but Switzerland stayed neutral throughout. Um, so these correspondents are 
all over Europe and there's travelling around and these people are actually reporting back what's happening in Europe at the time. So initially, information regarding what is happening to Jews came from this kind of correspondence. So this could be journalists, businessmen, um, or women, officials and the like. And this is all before the death camps. So nothing of that of that kind was reported in these early years of the war. But certainly there were reports and knowledge about roundups of Jews and deportations to ghettos, the ghettos themselves, and persecution of Jewish people in Europe at this time. And eventually, when the mass killings began, this was also being reported by these neutral correspondents. So this is happening from the beginning of the war up until the summer of 1941, by which which point um, British intelligence has actually... um, been listening in on German radio transmissions. So they've cracked all the codes and whatnot, and these transmissions contain information of systematic killings. So the British, because they are tapping into what the Germans are saying to each other, have then become privy to like this information about all this, all this mass murder that they're perpetrating and implementing and carrying out. Um, so so from the get-go pretty much you have eyes on the ground and the allies have access to this information and then eventually they come to intercepting German transmissions and they then have access to what the Germans are planning on doing and carrying out and there's also news coming from the Soviets as well to British intelligence Um, so from... Actually, something quite significant is that in, on August the 14th in 1941, Winston Churchill summarised this news, so the news that they've got from this intelligence, to the British public. And this is a quote from Facing History and Ourselves. And this is from Winston Churchill. As Hitler's armies advance, whole districts are being exterminated. Scores of thousands, literally scores of thousands of executions in cold blood are being perpetrated by the German police troops upon the Russian patriots who defend their native soil. And this is but the beginning. Famine and pestilence have yet to follow in the bloody ruts of Hitler's tanks. We are in the presence of a crime without a name. Now, this is a very famous quote because... Winston Churchill actually saying this is a crime without a name um, actually um, connects to the development of the the concept of genocide also like this these crimes are so um, so new it would seem to the then uh, British government that they don't even know what to call it so after this, journalists continue to report on what's happening in Europe and confirmation comes in the spring of 1942 that there are multiple mass murders happening of Jews across in Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Baltic states and Russia. And the United Press actually reports that the numbers of people being killed is actually in the hundreds of thousands. So I think they report up to half a million people. 400,000 something like that and then multiple news outlets follow suit and also report massacres of Jewish people however due to the ongoing war and the worries of misreporting 
the worries that the news outlets had that they were like misreporting the numbers of people or what was actually happening this news often didn't make um the front page and was being reported in the newspapers but wasn't grabbing like wasn't grabbing headlines like you think that it would i mean in hindsight that you that you think that it would now i know that it seems odd that the allies had quite a lot of intel at least on the atrocities being committed against the jewish people and that they didn't immediately act to do something however we have to remember that the war was going on so they were fighting a war at the same time so and this is a war that the allies were actually losing badly until the turnaround happened um in 1943 i think it was um so with that being said in december of 1942 the following statement was issued by the governments of the US, Britain and the Soviet Union and in which they stated the following. So this is also a quote from Facing History and Ourselves. The German authorities, not content with denying to persons of the Jewish race in all the territories over which their barbarous rule has been extended the most elementary human rights, are now carrying into effect Hitler's oft-repeated intention to exterminate the Jewish people of Europe. The statement then goes on to say, quote, Jews are being transported in conditions of appalling horror and brutality to Eastern Europe. In Poland, which has been made the principal Nazi slaughterhouse, the ghettos established by the German invaders are being systematically emptied of all Jews except a few highly skilled workers required for war industries. None of those taken away are ever heard of again. The able-bodied are slowly worked to death in labour camps. The infirm are left to die of exposure and starvation or are deliberately massacred in mass executions. The number of victims of those bloody cruelties is reckoned in many hundreds of thousands of entirely innocent men, women and children. End quote. So this, this statement really encompasses everything that we kind of need to know about what the Allies knew because they kind of touch on everything, systematic murder, um, slave labour, innocent people being like rounded up and um, taken away, the fact that Jewish people have no human rights, that Hitler has often repeated this threat and so they've even got in there the element of intent, um, which is quite remarkable, I think. And yeah, so this was... As I said, um, in December of 1942, and what do we know about this time period? That the final solution has already been decided on and that the Nazis have escalated their violence towards the Jewish people from 1941 onwards. Um, so, yeah, that's the statement that is put out by the Allies. Um, they also said that once the war is won, that the Germans will pay for their crimes. So here we can kind of start to understand the Allied strategy strategy towards um, helping the victims, which is, well, let's break that down a little bit. Basically, win the war, save the Jews, punish the Germans. So before the Holocaust happened, there was no such, we know that there was no such thing as the concept of genocide. That's not to say that it didn't occur. It just wasn't in, it wasn't common knowledge that genocide, genocide was a crime. So as we know, this only becomes a crime in international law a few years after the end of World War 
too. So we have to remember that the whole idea that a government would want to or indeed attempt to annihilate a whole group of people outside of the typical aggressions of war would have been a difficult thing to grasp. So people literally just had a hard time believing what was actually happening. And I I mean, it's not such a big of a jump if we think about, um, I don't know, war crimes that are committed in other countries and how we can kind of, we can be shocked by it, but do we fully comprehend and understand what is happening? And then, and also do we form it, do we or governments formulate a plan to stop that atrocity? Um, so even, there is argument that even if the Allies did know what was going on, did they actually like deep it and understand um, how how to deal with it and also add on top of that the fact that we're in the middle of a world war. So this is not an excuse for inaction, but something has to be said for the time period and the reports coming from all different angles and the fact that at this time, this type of crime was incomprehensible there was there wasn't a name for it there wasn't a concept there wasn't um there wasn't a way to to prosecute it so eventually what we can what can be understood is that the allies thought the best way to save or help the jews was to win the war if the war is won then everybody is saved basically so the quicker that they do that the quicker that people um can actually be saved what they didn't didn't know was how desperate people were in the sense that we do have reports especially from survivors of Auschwitz that they would have rather the allies would have bombed the train tracks or the gas chambers or just bombed any part of the camp and potentially kill them rather than let the Germans continue on with their persecution and and for them to carry on trying to survive Um, what was going on Um, and the question of why the allies didn't in fact bomb the railways or the death camps or any camps for that matter um, to try to put a stop to the killing is often raised but I think if we break it down we have to really think about what good could have really come of that Um, because if they would have dropped bombs on the camps and potentially have halted killing for a little while what happens after that so even if even if they are bombing you're still leaving survivors of that bombing i mean you would never know how many germans you would kill and what and if that would actually like break the administrative system um also what happens to the survivors who looks after them where do they go i know in hindsight that sounds ridiculous because you'd rather not be in a death camp you'd rather be anywhere else but this is these are the kind of questions that the allies actually had to grapple with um also they would be responsible for the potential loss of civilian life so if you don't have this concept of genocide um essentially what you are doing is in the context of a war war crimes are being committed and you from your reports people are telling you that they want you to bomb certain places to give uh, to relieve it relieve it at least and potentially the victim themse- victims themselves even want it just to put a stop to it so that nobody else suffers but from the outside you are just potentially bombing civilians um so very complicated and 
yeah, and also you never know. The the Germans might just have got right back at it. They drop the bombs. They come up with some other strategy. Um, they move people to a different camp. They send other like SS forces in or, or, or whoever to just take over and resume in a different location. Um, I mean, the, the possibilities are endless of what could have happened in that regard. Um, so, yeah, maybe the takeaway is that like bombing doesn't actually equal rescue and that would have to be something that the governments would have to take into account. Um, yeah, and in hindsight, we can look at the logistics given the vastness of the atrocities. How exactly would the Allies have implemented a Europe-wide rescue mission whilst fighting the Germans in a war that they were initially losing? Um, yeah, so it, it kind of seems that the Allies took what they understood as the most logical approach given the context that the genocide was taking place in. Win the war, save people. Um, what we do know, however, is that people went through great lengths to get the word out and to let the world know what was happening to the Jewish people. There is this kind of, sometimes there's this thing flying around that um, people kind of victim blame and say, oh, you went like lambs to the slaughter, like you just let it happen to you. But there was an incredible amount of resistance from people. Um, although it didn't have the de desired effect, People were resisting, documenting, um, basically getting the word out to save their lives and the lives of their communities and other people. It really was astonishing, like, the lengths that people would go to and put their lives in danger in order to even just witness what was happening. Um, and if you want to read about a really incredible story, then I would suggest that you look up um, Jan Karski, J-A-N-K-R-S-K-I. He was a courier to the Polish government in exile who was actually smuggled into the Warsaw Ghetto, a really infamous ghetto in Warsaw in Poland, um, which also has an incredible story of resistance. I would highly recommend you look into that also. Um and another camp that he initially thought was Belgic death camp, but I think it's been proven that it was like a, a transition camp or like a holding camp on the way to Belgic. Anyway, he smuggles into both of those places to become, because he wants to actually be an eyewitness to what is happening in these places in the hopes that he will come out and then meet with officials tell them face to face what's happening to like prompt them into action and to start saving people and he actually met Roosevelt in 1943 and other British authorities to describe what he experienced and basically to plead for some kind of action um he didn't get it unfortunately but um yeah really an incredible story of the lengths that people were actually going to to have people help um so really in summary any argument that the allies didn't know what was actually happening is a questionable one perhaps they couldn't fully grasp the crime and how to respond to it and as a result they didn't act with the urgency that was necessary from the victim's perspective but we do know 
that reports were coming out of Europe and making it to allied and neutral forces pretty much from the beginning of the war and the ally the kind of the argument is that the allies were like the quicker we win the war then we can actually save these people rather than trying to do like trying to implement some other plan but our takeaway is that the allies knew on some level what was happening to the Jewish people of Europe and they fully quoted it themselves and they also put out a statement to the public saying what was happening. And that, my loves, concludes the main part of the episode today of what the Allies knew about the Holocaust. Um, So for this week's recommended reading uh, slash call to action, so I've kind of combined it today. So I would highly recommend taking a look at the Ringelblum archive, which is a collection of documents from the Warsaw Ghetto. So these documents were collected and preserved by a group known by the code name of Oneg Shabbos. Uh, so in modern is uh, modern Hebrew is Oneg Shabbat, and um, they're also known as the Ringelblum archives in English. Um, because they were led by a Jewish historian named Dr. Emmanuel Ringelblum. And this group actually um, consisted of historians, writers, rabbis, social workers, like all different types of people. And they were dedicated to chronicling their lives in the ghetto, um, in the Warsaw Ghetto. It's a very famous archive as these people had the foresight to document what was going on at the time so that the atrocities would be written down somewhere. So they actually, they actually like would collate information. Now this is, this was also a very um, incredible feat because doing anything like this would have just got them immediately executed. Would they have been found out by the German authorities? So risking their lives to, with this like I don't want to say tiny because I think it's a huge feat but a huge feat of resistance yeah let's not say tiny um and they would collect all this information and they actually um buried it in the ghetto um because they wanted to come back after the war take all, take this archives and then write a book about their experiences so then the world would know and actually the Warsaw ghetto itself has a really really interesting story about an uprising that happened there and um, there is a museum in Israel called the Ghetto Fighters House Museum that was actually founded by survivors of the Warsaw Ghetto. So I would also take a look into that. I mean, there's so many interesting things. It's, that's all connected that you can take a look at. Um, I, I personally love eyewitness testimony and to think of the sacrifice that people made to actually get this information to us I think that the least we could do is maybe take a look and you never know maybe there's something that really intrigues you and really interests you and you can continue to bear witness to the event um because I think that's what's most interesting to me is that these people are just everyday people like you and me and they actually during within this horrific circumstance have taken the time to like document what's important to them um I mean things like Shabbat rituals and stuff like that it's not all it's not all going to be like 
horrible doom and gloom but actually you know documentation of culture and traditions and stuff like that so yeah I think it's a really um proactive way to kind of understand history and understand an event by bearing witness to actual eyewitness testimony if that makes sense I don't know if I'm geeking out or being horribly cringe about it but I just think the effort and the risk that was taken makes it fascinating um and also as I said uh Jan Karski um his story is very interesting and I'm sure there's a autobiography or some something of the like um something written about him and his life and what he actually did um so I think that is basically it that's it for this week and this side of Christmas um I know it's weird but I do wish everybody a very 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 happy Christmas if you celebrate it if you don't no worries don't matter really does it um I also hope that um a belated happy Hanukkah to everybody who celebrated Hanukkah um as I said in the beginning I hope everybody's with somebody that they love and if you aren't call someone text dm zoom skype facetime uh whatsapp video call anything you have access to just connect with people that you love and you care about and let's all stay healthy and make it to the end of the year all right have a good one and i'll see you next time ciao